standing for one more minute. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today, so I'm going to invite you to read along the first couple of verses that will be up on the screen, and then I'm going to finish up through verse 10. So this is Titus chapter 2, God's word to us this morning. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may be put to, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Father, as we read these words, we ask again that your Spirit, even as you're present with us at all times, and you're present when we are gathering for worship, that you would speak and that you would challenge us, that you would show us the reality of the character that you want to build into us, but also point us to the one who is the the fulfillment of that character the one in whom we find life and find transformation. Lord Jesus, wherever we may be in life, we ask that you'd speak and that you'd work. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you may be seated. So a couple weeks ago, we started with the end of chapter 1 of Titus, and we said communities of grace feed on healthy or sound doctrine. And so we said, if we want to have communities of grace, we got to feed on the right thing. we got to be nourished in the right way. And Paul says this requires that we stand against unhealthy doctrine, unsound doctrine, and then teach what aligns with sound doctrine. So we looked at the first one a couple weeks ago, and today we're going to start looking at this second one, teaching of sound doctrine. What is the sound or the healthy doctrine that we are to teach, that we're to feed on? So we're going to break it up in this way, three things, and we're going to look at it over the next three weeks. The sound doctrine looks like character of grace, looks like need for grace, and it looks like the source of grace. If we're going to understand what sound doctrine is, we need to understand all of these things. And we're going to look just at this first one today, the character of grace. So what does the character of grace look like, and more so, what does it do to us and for us? Two things. And this is the, then this is the end of the outline, okay? And then we're going to get into the text itself. Here is what it does for us. It builds up others, and it points to the greater expression of beauty. It does two things for us. This is how Paul describes it. It builds up others. All right, so as we look at this, Paul categorizes all these characteristics into several different categories, six different categories, because he talks about old men, old men, you old men, old, old women, young women, young men, and then specifically Titus, and then servants. 
He categorizes it in this way. So there's lots of overlap with all of these categories, which would, of course, make sense. And since most of these descriptions would apply to any of us, Paul's probably, like as we go through each of this, you're like, well, that could apply to any of the categories. Yes, it, it could. Paul's probably bringing to light certain characteristics because these specific groups needed to be challenged in these specific ways. Because he's thinking about the churches that are in Crete, so he's probably thinking about people and individuals who need to hear these specific words that would qualify for these in these specific categories. And we know how this works, right? If you're a school teacher and you have a kid who's super shy, what are you going to do? You're going to do things to encourage them to speak up more, right? And then on the other side of the room, you got the kid who won't keep his mouth shut. And you say, okay, we're going to do things to, to, to not make you be so talkative, right? Well, if you were to just interact with one of them at a time, you might ask, and then you see how you've told two different kids two different things. Are your values different? No, absolutely not. Your value is the same, but you are speaking specific to the circumstance that's at hand. So as we go into this, without going into all the details of each of these characteristics, we do want to run through them. And I would encourage you, as we spend some time thinking on these, if particular virtues, if particular expressions challenge you, drill into them. Like, jot them down. Be open to what the Spirit may be needing to say to us as individuals, and then, of course, to us as a community of people. So here we go. You ready? Old men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. What great characteristics for anybody, especially an older man who's maybe seen a lot of life and maybe seen some hard things in life to have these characteristics built in them. Sober-minded and self-controlled, they're very similar. Uh, especially, I mean, when we're looking at this, both, both involve being, uh, being temperate, temperate, right? Not a hothead. Look, think about older men, okay? Especially level, sober in their thinking and in their perspective. Not making rushed or rash decisions but thoughtful, controlled. This is a positive characteristic. These are significant. Then he says dignified. What is that? Well, it's living in a way that doesn't demand respect, but it's worthy of it. You know, dignified people, they don't demand respect, but they're worthy of it. Sound, healthy, in faith, love, and steadfastness. Can we see the importance of that in community? How important is that qualification that characteristic, for older men to offer a steadiness that's firmly dependent on Jesus and selflessly loving others with steadfastness. Steadfastness here is this concept of having the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. It's patience, it's fortitude, it's endurance, it's perseverance. It's not reactionary. Steadfastness. So these characteristics create a safe environment for others to grow up, doesn't it? Especially when older men, they bring that kind of a value, that kind of character, that kind of expression. What does it do to the rest of us? It creates a safe environment for people to be built up. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. So reverent. 
This has a similar feel to the dignified that he talks about with the older men. It's about an honorable life of character, which would include what he says, not being slanders or enslaved to much wine. <laughs> I am guessing, and I shouldn't laugh, it's not funny, well, it's kind of funny, right? I'm guessing that there was an issue maybe with some of the older women in Crete. Maybe happy hour started at 11 a.m. Okay? He's thinking of something. There's something that he is addressing with the older women. And it may have been more of a cultural thing because what he said about the men being sober-minded, that probably is a reference to potentially some addiction issues, some sobriety issues that they may have had too. Sobriety may have been an issue for much in that culture. That may be something we need to hear, possibly. How important is this? for the health of you as an individual? How important is it for the health of us as a community? Being enslaved to substances, and it can be other things, right? It can be entertainment. You can be enslaved to your job. You can be enslaved to your, your hobbies. There's many things we can be enslaved to, and that enslavement does not build us up, but it actually tears us down. Right? And it tears down community. Now, this isn't a time to feel guilty if you are experiencing that. It is a time, though, to be confronted. What might God want to say to us in this area? And then Paul goes on to tell the older ladies to teach what is good, especially, he says, train the younger women. Part of community is that we come alongside one another and we teach what's good to each other. This is communal teaching. The, the older... Teaching the younger is to characterize healthy communities. And that doesn't exclude a partnership. That doesn't mean it doesn't go both ways, right? As a matter of fact, what is the greatest thing that an older generation can do for a younger generation? One of, I mean, there's lots they can actually teach, but it's also one of the greatest things you can do is show humble teachability. Being teachable is something that the older generation can show the younger generation. Right? That is an, a vitally important good that we need to be able to do for one another, to humbly learn and to humbly learn together. So with all that, Paul gives specific things to train younger women. This is what he says. He says, they are to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. All right, this is not meant to be read. Okay, you got to back up. Read it in the first century context. This is not to be read in the 20th century independent Western leave it to be beaver kind of lens. Does anyone in here even know what who leave it to beaver is? Do, do y'all know? Oh, do you actually know? Okay, it's a show in the 50s. Go, go watch it. It's like this pristine family, like this ideal, quote unquote, ideal family, right? We're not supposed to read it through that lens. If you've ever been a younger parent, let's, let's think about this. It's, it's about unity. It's about support. It's about care within the family for building up the family and therefore for building up the broader community. If you've ever been a young parent, especially a young mom or just maybe even a young single person, most of us could get and need all the help that we can get, right? I mean, most of you guys are young. Don't you know? I can use all the help I can get. I can use all the help that I can get. 
right? Having older seasoned women speaking into a young woman's life, man, that is invaluable. It's not condescending. It's invaluable to learn from the successes and the failures of those who've gone before you. If you're, as you get older, you have those that you can share with others with deep humility, not as a know-it-all, but as one who knows they don't know it all. My wife had many people that invested in her life. Of course, her mom was the biggest teacher in her life. But as we were in college especially, we were involved in a campus ministry. It's called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. Let's just stick with RUF. It's called RUF. And so the, the campus, there were some people that were older than her that invested in her, but one of the people was the camp, campus minister's wife. Her name was Becky Sinclair. And she would have Fran over and just hang out. Like, I don't remember if they ever did, like, Bible studies. Fran did lots of Bible studies in college, so it wasn't that. It wasn't necessarily that she was doing that with this particular woman. But she'd come over and just hang out, help around the house, help take care of the kids. And we would sometimes go over, because this is a, you know, a young, poor pastor family. We would babysit their kids so that they could go out, out sometimes. What is this? It's, it's pouring into life. It's, it's learning from one another, and it's allowing someone who's a little bit older to speak into your life. And when any of us are in new situations as families or as singles, we need community to offer support to one another. We, we, whether you know it or not, I don't like admitting that. I really don't like admitting that I need support. But it's just a lie. We need support from one another. So when we do this, the families and the singles, we need Jesus' community to offer support to one another. Those who have had life experience, whether they were good or bad, you're like, I've had a horrible life. Man, you have that much more to to share, right? It It doesn't matter if it was good or bad. It matters how you are in Christ now. We get to come alongside one another and share with those who are maybe going through it in a new and a fresh way. We, we, we've learned as we get scammed, right? As we get scammed, you have the story now to tell someone else. You know how to come up. Sorry, that was a conversation from earlier today. You experience things and you have something now to share with others. Specifically, Paul talks about younger women loving the members of their family and exercising self-control. Okay, how important is self-control when you're raising kids and you're raising a husband? <laughs> how important is self-control? Hmm. We'll let that one just sit for a minute. And this is to be expressed with purity, devotion, single-minded devotion, while working at home, Paul says. Okay, This is a compound word in Greek. It's only used this one time in the New Testament. It, it, it means, uh, it doesn't just mean that, that a woman can't work outside of the home. That kind of concept and that definition in uh, today's culture is kind of foreign to a first century mindset, right? People are doing all kinds of things outside of the, outside of the like, physical home. Your home is typically pretty small. It's not that they're just sitting in their home doing home things all the time, right? What is this, what is this about? It's working in the home. Working in the home is about working to provide and to serve and to lead the people in the home and the family as a micro-community. And as this happens, Paul says, be kind and submissive to your husbands. Am I going to skip it? Yeah. <laughs> 
look, I know this is a hot topic, and this is for a lot longer conversation than just me speaking to you about this. It's certainly been misused, it has been misunderstood, and it's been abused. I want to be very upfront about that. And honest, actually, I'd ask Fran, I'm like, I would like for you to come up and talk about this because I think she's lived this out beautifully and she's in Arizona. <laughs> uh, so she jetted out of town. She was already planning to be, she was already planning to be out of town. Should I have her come up and talk about this at some point? Would you want to hear her? Ask her at any point. Please ask her. So here, here's clarification. This is speaking to wives submitting. This is not saying husbands demand submission. You heard that? Very, very important. That is called oppression. And God has some very hard and harsh things to say about those who oppress. So if you're experiencing oppression in your marriage or in other relationships, this is a direct, that oppression is a direct opposition to what God is describing here. Make no mistake about it. And if you're in that place, ask for help, please. Reach out. This is, what we're, this is part of what we want to be here for one another. So healthy submission. It, you can't get away from this. Healthy submission is part of grace community. It's how grace works. It's how it flows to and through us as we submit to God. There is no Christianity without a submission to Christ. So as we submit to Christ, we're also invited to submit to one another. So Paul, Paul talks about this when he's talking about a marriage relationship in the book of Ephesians. And before he gets into the marriage relationship, he says this. This is in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And he goes on to say, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Families and communities live and they thrive where willful, joyful surrender for the good of one another is valued and expressed, organically expressed. We're laying down our lives in service to others is not forced, but an outworking of grace. What is the heartbeat of grace? What is the, the fundamental that, that binds us together? The one who made all things, who rules all things, who submitted himself to his father and surrendered his life for us. That's, that's the heartbeat of the Christian life. This kind of love... Self-control, purity, building up of others, kindness and surrender are not only to be characteristics of young women and families and families in general, it's to be characteristic of us. It's a culture, it's an ethos, it's a value. Then he goes on into, ver how are we doing? Okay. Any other any questions? I'm not going to invite you to ask questions right now, but as you're processing this, please, let's talk about, <laughs> I'm not sure what would happen if I opened it up. That would actually be great. I would love that, but time won't permit. Please feel free to, let's have more conversation about this. Verse 6, Paul speaks of the young men and transitions to talking more directly to Titus. This could mean that Titus was a young man, and therefore some of the things that he's going to tell Titus personally would generally apply to young men. So he goes on, verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Okay, we talk a lot about understanding things in its immediate context, its culture. Okay, this one I think just transcends culture. 
I don't think you got to know first century culture really well to understand young men need self-control. One of the biggest struggles that young men have, being a young man, having been a young man, self-control, or not being controlled, better yet, by my interests, by my passions, by my lusts, by my desires. Okay, there is something about youthfulness that has that, it's passionate. Is passion bad? It's, it's not a bad thing. Passion is not bad. It can be a very good thing as long as the passion doesn't control you. And self-control in a grace paradigm comes not by teeth-gritting discipline, but a trusting submission to God's care, a submission to God's control and to his guidance. That is where biblical self-control, it's not teeth-gritting, it's submission to the goodness of another. Then Paul goes on into verse 7 and says, show yourself, and he's talking specifically to Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Paul's reminding Titus, and, and really anybody who's going to teach, that teaching of healthy doctrine should first and consistently be an expression of of how we live. What do I mean by that? Well, he says, this is to be done in your teaching. These characteristics are to be done in your teaching. How we teach should be characterized by integrity and dignity and healthy words that don't contradict the message that we're teaching. How often do you hear like good teaching and the person is either like so offensive or you watch their life afterwards and it just doesn't align with the very thing that they were teaching? right? How we live actually does matter, right? It should characterize us, this integrity, this this dignity, these healthy words. And then this last group he addresses in this section, because he's going to do some more as we get into chapter chapter 3, but in this section he says bondservants. Bondservants, the word there is doulos. Doulos is the same thing that Paul referred to himself as being in the opening, where he says, Paul, a bondservant, a servant, a doulos of God. He's already called himself this servant. So he says, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. All right, so here, first note, servants or slaves are equal participants in the grace community. Okay, and this one is one you got to step back into first century to understand how radical that would be. Whether you are the highest authority or the lowest servant on the social ladder, you are on equal footing in the community of Jesus. That does apply to us. Great descriptions here that could translate to, okay, we're going to just kind of go directly into where and how we work. So I think these descriptions, these characteristics do apply to how we work and serve even today. Willful submission to those you work for is a gift to the places that you work. Do you know that? And I'm not saying that like the person you work for, if they're asking you to do something illegal or evil, if they're demanding that, God's not saying submit to that. He's not saying do those things, right? But apart from that, A person characterized by the grace of the gospel should be the greatest employee you would ever have if you are an employer. Not constantly arguing or fighting against the company, but rather being a pleasant presence, being a 
aroma candle in your place of work, not stealing stuff. I'm not talking about just time, and Paul's not talking about just time, I mean just money, it's about time, how you use your time when you're on the clock, but showing, he says, showing all good faith, meaning adding value, being faithful to the work that's been given to you, and working for the good of the mission and the people for where you work. This can be a tough one, I think, in our, I think this really is something that I and I, we need to hear in our day and age, where it's so easy for us to jump around and primarily do work for a paycheck or how it best serves us. That's, that's kind of a convicting concept for me. Not that a paycheck is bad and not that we shouldn't enjoy our work and even change jobs or leave toxic environments, okay? It's not saying you have to be enslaved especially in our day and age, you are not enslaved to your place of work. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean that, but the character of grace should make us lean into loyalty, and, and it's, we should be a tremendous value and an asset to the place where we work. Grace actually frees us. So grace community actually frees us to not just work for our own personal gain and advancement, but to give ourselves for the good of the people and the mission where we work. It frees us to live a different kind of way. Okay, so do the places we work and serve see something different about us? Not just in what we say because you wear some Jesus t-shirt or you carry around a Jesus mug, but how we speak and how we do work. Is there a difference? If someone were to find out that you were a Christian, they just pose this and consider it. They find out you're a Christian, would they roll their eyes and say, yeah, that figures. Another self-serving, self-righteous, religious slacker. Or would they say, look, I don't know that I believe this God of yours. I don't know that I believe this story of grace, but I love what you contribute to our place. Something to consider. And all of this is just an overview. I mean, what Paul presents is just an overview of the virtues, these characteristics that we are to express that he's highlighting. Teaching what aligns with healthy doctrine involves teaching and living the character of grace expressed that builds up others. There's your summation of that. And it moves into pointing to a greater expression. So, what is the purpose of all of this? We do all this. Well, of course, the purpose is it builds others up. We've already said that. And it actually is for your good. Like, living this way is for your good. Yes, that is absolutely true. But Paul has these few, and I skipped it as we walked through the passage again. I don't know if you picked up on that. He has these, they're called henna statements. It's the Greek word for so that. He has a few so that statements. In verses 5, he says, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame. Verse 9, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So that when grace expresses itself through us in these ways, Paul says, the word of God is not reviled. What's the word there? It's blasphemed. 
It's not blasphemed. It's not slandered. It's not defamed, maligned. It's not mis- God's name is not, m- God's word is not misrepresented. When we live out our, this character, we don't misrepresent him. These expressions that build up others rightly point to the story of God. Our lives are actually a, a, a storyteller of the word of God. That's what he says when we live out these characters. Then verse 8, he says, those who might oppose us are discredited because they have nothing legitimately bad to say. Virtuous character is good for others, but a side effect is it can guard you against false accusations. This does not mean that people are not going to say bad things about you, okay? Jesus makes that very clear. He says that will happen. It's just that this character really is, when it's really living, being lived out and people say things against you, you don't have to fight to cover up your wrongs or to defend your reputation. You can let your life speak for itself and maybe let others speak on your behalf. So if you're accused of lying or gossiping, let's say, and you've actually been living an honest life, you can, actually, you can sit down with the person who is accusing you or maybe really believes that you have been gossiping or believes that you have been lying to them. And you can calmly listen. They may point something out that you need to hear that you weren't aware of to be sensitive Maybe you bring clarification, not justification, clarification if that's needed. But if you've honestly been living honestly, you can have peace. You can offer grace rather than defense and self-justification. All of this in the big picture is peripheral. These These are important things, but they're peripheral. More important than others speaking or not speaking against me is that when we are living out this grace, it is pointing not to our stellar reputation and our stellar character. It's pointing to the one whose grace we are living under. We're pointing to his character, the one in whose image we are being remade. Verse 9, Paul says, Servants are to express this grace For what end? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Savior. So as we live out grace and goodness, we're hanging ornaments of God's character around the world. We are pointing to the more beautiful expression of grace. We're We're pointing the world to what he says, God, our Savior. This is what our lives are supposed to be doing. This is, this is beautiful. When our character actually is building up others, it points to God. It points to, to who he is. Okay, how are you feeling about all this? So at this point, because I'm going through, these are wonderful characteristics. These are fantastic characteristics. Are you sensing a problem? If you're not sensing a problem, maybe I should start over and read. Would you go read them again? Okay. You're sensing a problem that you fail at these characteristics. Good. That's partly, I think, what Paul wants to do to us. Now, the problem is we don't have enough time for me to go there. That is why we're going to look at this next week. That part we're going to look at next week. This idea that 
the need for grace is exposed, it's deepened when we enter into these characteristics, okay? So we are going to go there, but we're going to go there this next week. This is at, that is absolutely critical to understanding the teaching of healthy doctrine, because if we miss that, we miss the gospel. But for now, before we even take that step next week, we do want to see something else in this, that even when we are manifesting these characteristics, because God actually does manifest these things in us. So what happens when we're manifesting these characteristics? We need to realize it's pointing to the greater expression. It's pointing to the beauty of Jesus. That is what this is really about. He is the completeness. He is the better older man. He is the better older woman. He is the better, better younger woman and younger man. He's the better Titus. He's the better slave. He is the completeness of these things. Healthy doctrine that leads to these characteristics being expressed in us is a result of us finding them fully expressed in him. This is where it happens. It's not us stirring it up in ourselves. It's us being baptized into his waters. He's the one who is sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled and sound and faithfulness and love and steadfastness. Can I walk through these really quick? Okay. He is the one who is reverent and unwilling to slander or be enslaved, always teaching what is good. He is the lover of his family, the pure one, the builder of his home, the kind, submissive one to his father. He is the model of good works, showing integrity and dignity and healthy speech. He is the one that is well-pleasing, the aroma of life. Not argumentative, not taking from others, but being productive. So that in all that he does, the word of God is not dishonored in Jesus. His opponents have nothing legitimate to say against him. And he offers and shows off And he adorns the beauty of God perfectly. Not just by pointing. Like, we're we're the moon, then we reflect the beauty of what the sun is. So he's not just the moon reflecting the beauty. The sun is the sun. (laughs) He is the beautiful expression of God in the flesh. And then he takes on what he doesn't deserve. Because he was actually dishonored. And he was accused, and he was shamed, and he justly experienced all of this from us. And then he suffered the consequences for us so that he could return return from death to offer forgiveness. He could return from death to offer a new life. That is the greatest expression of grace. He is the greatest expression of grace. So as we teach and we receive and we live and we feed on this, we're feeding on him. When we do that, we grow as a community of grace. And then we do start expressing it to one another and we start expressing it to the world by building others up and ultimately by pointing to him who is the fullness of the expression. And so, Father, as we consider these characteristics, and they are challenging, and Lord, I ask that you would allow them to challenge us, that you would reveal to us the areas that need to be revealed, that as we step back, we also want to acknowledge where you're doing a good work in us, but that has 
nothing to do with us building ourselves up, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's because you are the fullness of the expression of character. And when we consume you, we're consuming the character. When we feed on you, we're feeding on the one who is life. And you shape and form and nourish us so that that life and that character might grow up in us, grow out of us, and we might share it with the world around. Please do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.